you know, everybody knows that when you get betrayed, there's a deep traumatic pain associated with that. But people don't really realize what it's like to be Benedict Arnold, what it's like to be a traitor, to betray your spouse. People don't really realize just what kind of shame and pain the one who's unfaithful carries with them. And the loneliness too, I imagine. Yeah, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of pain associated with that. Have you been wondering how to break free from the affair once and for all? Now's the time to take back your life, your emotions, find happiness, joy, and fulfillment with your marriage. HealingBrokenTrust.com is the place where you can find resources to take the healing journey to the next level. You'll find incredible resources for every stage of your affair recovery journey. Connect with our team of qualified affair recovery therapists who stay current with the ever-growing, ever-changing affair recovery research that's available to help you heal wherever you are in the process. Take our home study course focused on helping you communicate and express yourself in a way that gets you what you want. You can also book an incredible one-on-one intensive retreat where instead of dragging out the pain over months or years, you can condense the time it takes to heal in just a matter of days using scientifically proven methods that work to help couples lower their guard, let go of the fear, melt the anger, and experience each other at a deep emotional level you may have never experienced before. So what are you waiting for? Go to HealingBrokenTrust.com. But don't take our word for it. Read the client letters and listen to the reviews on the HealingBrokenTrust.com website. So go to HealingBrokenTrust.com and we'll talk to you soon. Welcome to Healing Broken Trust Podcast with Brad and Morgan Robinson. Today, we're asking the question, why does the betrayer become so defensive and sometimes want to leave when we're talking about the affair? So Brad, let's talk about this. Why do they become so defensive when you know, you're just asking them questions or you're just even having a conversation about what happened? Why do they become defensive? You know, Morgan, that's a really good question. I think part of that has to do with an emotion that we really haven't spent much time talking about on the podcast, and that's the emotion of shame. It's a huge roadblock in the affair recovery process because when shame is present, people begin to get really defensive or they do think about leaving. They may think about leaving the relationship or the, at least very, or at the very least like leaving the room. You know, they feel this sense of self-hatred that comes out. And so it, beca- it can become a really terrible part of a couple's negative cycle. Okay, so they basically shut down. Is that part of it? Well, the two most common times that I've seen shame is the fair is just talked about over and over and over and over again. And the fair, you know, it's it's the whole topic of conversation. And they're not seeing the one they hurt really moving forward. And they begin to feel hopeless. They begin to feel helpless. They're not seeing that they're able to heal. And so then they start feeling this shame. They begin to feel this defensiveness. Sometimes they'll even feel shame just because of what they did. They feel like a bad person. Maybe they've struggled with shame in other ways in their life, just feeling unworthy or not good enough or inferior. And so they'll you know, act out that shame and it just compounds it more because now they have an affair to prove how unworthy they are in their mind. So you said a lot there. There's a couple of things that really stick out to me as you're as you're saying what you're saying. And one of them is that sometimes they come to the relationship with shame from their past and then 
can shame sometimes lead them to have an affair and then it just becomes a roadblock through the healing process or is it usually just shame that's a result of the affair and it never was there before because that's just part of something I heard you say. Yeah, I think it can happen both ways. I think people can, you know, never really struggle with shame in their life, but they're going to struggle with shame after they see their spouse get betrayed. But usually I think people who have an affair typically have a history of dealing with shame because really when you deal with shame, you do, you feel shame because you feel rejected first. That's where shame comes from. Now, some of you guys listening are going to say, you know, but they rejected me. Why are they feeling shame? They're the one who had the affair. Why are they feeling shame? And shame is really this sense of self-hatred. It starts maybe as a tiny voice of guilt. You know, I feel bad. I'm a bad person. Uh, or I feel bad about what I did. That's guilt. Shame is I'm a bad person. Shame, uh, you'll see all the emotions, the core emotions that a human being can experience in young children, like in infants. You'll see sadness, fear, hurt maybe anger, joy, surprise, and excitement. Shame is another core emotion like that, but you won't see that develop until maybe eight or nine months in an infant. And that's because they've had enough experiences of feeling rejected or feeling, you know, this distance from their parent. Like my parent's not responding to me quick enough. So they begin to feel shame. And so shame really develops out of this feeling unwanted, uh, feeling rejected. And this is kind of digging below the surface Couples get into this negative cycle about the affair when they're talking about it. When they get defensive, what is really a defensiveness all about? It's really about saying, hey, I'm not this bad guy. You know, I'm really not a terrible human being. I really didn't mean to hurt you the way I did. And that's when people go into explanations. That's when people, you know, aren't listening. That's when people start to give. Because when that's when people get defensive. And that's when they turn the corners around and say, well, you do the same thing. You weren't there for me either. And what, and what defensiveness is really saying is, is, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not who you think I am. What triggers that is the voice of shame. That feeling of being uh, inferior or seen as stupid or incompetent or moral, you know, being seen as, as an imposter, like you don't fit in, feeling unwanted, rejected, inefficient or deficient. And it shows up as this defensiveness. And if you're the one who was unfaithful and if you explore where that defensiveness comes from, I would assume that you'd probably find that voice of shame there. And that voice of shame is, you know, I really feel inadequate. I really feel like I'm not good enough. And this is really important, Morgan. I feel really mad at myself for what I did, but I'm showing that anger towards you. I'm directing my anger towards you. I remember our little son, when he was maybe a couple months old, I was holding him and I did what you're not supposed to do. I was holding him in a rocking chair and I uh, started to fall asleep. And he slid out of my arms. He uh, had a little swing that he hit his head on on the way down. But he stayed asleep throughout the whole thing. And I felt horrible. I felt like the worst dad in the world. I felt like a horrible parent. If he had continued, you know, if he really had major, you know, major head trauma or a brain uh, injury, I would have felt that guilt wouldn't have just lasted for a couple days. That guilt would have lasted probably his whole life, maybe my whole lifetime. I would have just felt like a terrible human being in that. So anytime it was, it'd be brought up, like, you know, like if you asked me, Brad, why, why did you do that? Why didn't you just go ahead and lay him down and go to bed early that night? You know, every time it would come up, I would really feel like a terrible human being. I would really get stuck in that shame because it would be pervasive. There would never be any relief to it. And it would only really be my fault. That's how I would feel about it. 
And that's where this defensiveness comes from in individuals who are unfaithful is we're still talking about the affair. We're still discussing it. And you're not seeming to get better. And so this defensiveness keeps popping up. But the irony is, is this defensiveness is coming from, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like I hurt you. You know, I don't feel like a good husband or a good wife or a good boyfriend or girlfriend. But the irony is the one who got betrayed, they're seeing this as you don't care. You're not remorseful. You don't care. You don't have, you don't care a lick about my pain or my feelings. And that's kind of the irony is, is they care. That's why they're getting defensive and they're really angry at themselves about it. But the one who got betrayed doesn't see the remorse, doesn't see the compassion that they need to see. Right. They just see this defensiveness. And you were also saying that they begin to feel hopeless about it. And that's also kind of a catalyst for them feeling more ashamed. Is that, is that right? Because it's not getting better in their, in their eyes. Yeah. There's this catalyst where they don't feel good. You know, they feel hopeless, like we're still stuck in this negative cycle. It's been maybe a few months, a few years, and we're still here. A few weeks, I thought we'd be over this by now. We seem to get stuck here. You know, you feel like nothing I'm doing is helping you. You you feel like you've got to monitor me. Uh, you get triggered. Uh, all these different things trigger you. I feel really bad. And the longer they get stuck in that negative cycle you're going to keep seeing that shame pop up. But it's not just length of time or feeling hopeless. It's just a guilty conscience is what creates that kind of shame. It could be like the moment of discovery. Everybody expects this Hollywood romance that, you know, once the affair is made public or I find you out and I confront you about it, you're going to drop to your knees and ask for forgiveness. I have seen that happen, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 times. People get defensive. People get upset. That's not with it going on. That's the norm. Yeah, that's the norm the, is the defensiveness. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you're lucky, they tell you they had an affair. Instead of you finding it out. Yeah. Like, through the affair partner or social media or emails and reading all the text messages. and But people's shame gets in the way. And part of that is maybe it is a hopelessness, Morgan, of this false belief that people don't really heal from an affair. People don't recover from infidelity. You know, there's that belief that you can't really do it. And then when they're the betrayed partners being triggered and, you know, they can't seem to stop asking the same questions over and over. And then it's sort of validated in their mind that, man, we're never going to get over this. And I'm never going to be seen as someone loving or caring again or ever. The one who was betrayed often needs to talk about it, often needs to, you know, be able to discuss it, to move forward. You know, both people have different needs in this. Like the one who got betrayed Let's talk about it. I need to discuss this. I need to work through this. I need your help and guidance with this. Tell me the details. Tell me the things I need to know so I can heal from this. But the one who was unfaithful, you know, why would I want to tell you that? They get defensive. Maybe they feel criticized. That's obviously a common scenario in defensiveness is you feel criticized. You feel attacked as a person. So they need to not be criticized. And they may just need kind of certain limits placed on how often we talk about it. It can't dominate our life. Maybe it's going to dominate our life for the first weeks, but as time goes on, you know, we don't need it to dominate our life. We need to go get help. We need expert care. We need to go see somebody who can really help us work through this. That's why we offer retreats. That's why we, you know, literally helped couples from all over uh, work through infidelity. From around the world, actually. Yeah, we've done a lot of done a lot of that. But part of this is, Different people have different needs as they work through this. And that defensiveness 
often comes from a place of shame, which is really a harsh, critical voice of self-hatred. Many times betrayers just choose not to think about or discuss the affair because doing so brings up such strong feelings of disgust that is really directed at themselves. But the one who got betrayed sees you're so disgusted and angry and you're snapping at me. They think that you're snapping at them, like you don't like them, that you're upset with them. And what are you hiding kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that definitely. But it's like, you just betrayed me. Why are you so pissed off? Why are you so angry? I need you to be broken and remorseful and sorry and and to keep expressing that to me. I don't need to see this defensive side. But it goes back to that analogy. If our little guy had head trauma and still had it, I mean, I don't know how I would have how you could live with yourself, you know, with something like that. You know, you're gonna develop you're gonna struggle with shame. And so naturally a lot of people who uh, have an affair really struggle with that. Well you could live with yourself and if if your child out there does have head trauma for some reason that he described you certainly can yes, live with you yourself can. you can but when you but that's the kind of thinking you have is right. like what i'm explaining it's like oh my gosh how could you do this you know brad how could you live with yourself and so anyway you feel of, great shame yes mm-hmm. yeah you know people who experience the shame they feel embarrassed they feel unacceptable they feel inferior they feel inadequate about themselves so those are all recipes for people not opening up like the people who are the most locked up, their walls up the most, are people who feel like it's embarrassing to share about themselves. It's difficult to be vulnerable because when you see who I am on the inside, if I let you really see me, you're not going to like me. And so that's a that's a big deal. Morgan, another time that shame can really pop up, and we haven't really addressed this at all in our podcast, and this is when I see shame the strongest. There's kind of the defensive side of shame. This is a direct quote from a client I worked with years ago from someone who was experiencing shame. And this is the kind of shame that's going to lead somebody to say, I don't want to stay married anymore. Okay. So yeah, that leads me to that question of how, how do you know they're wanting to divorce or separate because of shame instead of just not loving you anymore? You know? Yeah. I think people, obviously when you have an affair, you're probably not in love with your spouse. Because you haven't kind of cultivated that relationship in yeah, a while, probably. But, you know, if you're in love in love with somebody, why would you cheat on them? Right. Human beings, there's actually research that shows this. I know it's not, there's different segments or different people in our society say otherwise, but human beings are actually wired to be monogamous, believe it or not. Animals in the wild that take years, prolonged amount of time to raise their young are monogamous. They will have the same life partner And so human beings do that. There's other animals that do that as well. But it takes us years to raise our young. We're wired to be monogamous. And so when people are in love, obviously it's easier to be monogamous. When people feel close to their spouse, it's easier to be monogamous. When you feel like you can get your needs met, it's easier to be monogamous. When you don't feel rejected or you have resentment towards your spouse, when you feel like you can share everything, those are conditions that uh, help facilitate that facilitating that that being faithful one thing that we were talking about right before we began recording too was the way you can kind of know shame versus just being done with a relationship some of the words that people use right they'll they'll say certain things when it's shame versus i'm just done with you and this is you know over right and so you were going to read that quote because oh yeah yeah okay so when someone is experiencing shame I would I would really say this is more of the shame when someone is wanting to leave. And honestly, sometimes people who are still involved in an affair, 
may talk like this. Usually when I've seen people talk like this, Morgan, it's not just because of shame only. It's they may still be involved in an affair. And I, I do not know your situation as you're listening to this. I'm speaking generally. This is what I've tended to see with few exceptions. And so uh, do not take this as legal advice or relationship advice. I'm just talking about this. And so In general terms. Yeah. And so someone might say, I don't like uh, him crying. I think I've hurt him enough. I feel I've let him down. I don't feel adequate for him. I've done nothing but pull him down. I'm convinced she'd be better off without me. I'm afraid of discussions about the affair coming back up. I know I need him, but he's better off without me. You know, when you hear that over and over and over again, that's kind of like the dominant thing. And your spouse, if you've gone to marriage counseling, they're not really participating in marriage counseling. And you hear that, and that's kind of where they're at. And they just kind of talk about the whole time how they feel so much shame. And they may blame it on their childhood, or they may blame it on other stuff. Just when I've seen people really get into statements like that, you know, maybe I didn't know it at the time. But later kind of came out that they were still seeing somebody. That's why they felt so much shame is they had a guilty conscience. Mm. You know, it wasn't just the shame of defensiveness. It was shame on a different level because they were still involved with somebody else. So they're better off without me. So because of that, you should just go on without me. And I wonder if. Well, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm hiding this secret and I'm doing this terrible thing to you behind your back. And I feel like a terrible person for doing this to you. But, you know, I'm not ready to come back home or I'm not ready to end the affair or I don't think I can get my needs met with you. Usually when I've seen that kind of shame, it's because they had some sort of secret. Not always, but usually there's a secret there. And that secret most often is, you know, I'm not ready to end the affair yet. But couldn't it also mean that they are feeling just hopeless and maybe it could be that way? Yeah, I think, sure. I think people could do that. I'm thinking about what you're saying, Morgan, and I think that can be true, but I'm just reading I'm just reading the words from a client who once said this. There is almost this other behavior. I don't want our audience to be confused and I don't want everybody to listen to this and then use this as gospel. Like, yeah, gospel or as a bullet to shoot your spouse in the head with. But it may be enlightening if that's kind of your scenario. But you know, those are the words, but kind of it's more into the delivery. It's this they'll pour out their heart. It's like somebody gets drunk and they pull out their heart and then they talk about all their insecurities and how they're not a good person. It's almost like that. Like, I'm not good for you. I don't deserve to have you. Uh, I've got this shame. I just feel like such a bad person. They tend to repeat these things over and over again. Without the intention of opening up and sharing themselves and staying in the relationship? There's different scenarios here. Like, there's the defensive side of shame. These individuals could have, and not everybody who gets defensive or has shame is in this camp that I'm talking about, but there are limited situations. And so some of you guys listening may be in this, but most of you are not going to be in this kind of scenario. But usually when people talk like this, and I'm not an actor, I would act it out, but Mm -hmm. it's just a different level of shame. They get stuck in it because they know they're not doing something right. They know they're still being unfaithful. Mm -hmm. That's why they have it. And so they're kind of saying... It's a shame on a different level, Morgan. So they're kind of saying, I, I'm feeling so terrible. I'm seeing all these things. I just don't think that I'm good for you. I just don't think that we should be together because you're hurting. And so I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to let you be and I'm going to leave you alone. And I'm going to just okay. take myself out of the relationship that way. Okay. I mean, it could be like that, but it's this is kind of like their core message. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm good enough. I think I've hurt you enough. I've let you down enough. It's their core message. And everybody that I've had who's had like shame that I've worked with, and I thought, man, they got a lot of shame we got to work through. 
the shame is hurting our progress. Mm -hmm. They feel so bad that the shame is hurting our progress. Everybody that I've worked with like that, with maybe limited exceptions, like minor exceptions, was still seeing somebody. Oh, I see. This is like their common message. And I've had several people like this. It's kind of what they always come back to. It's not just something they talk about every now and then. Because some people were going to talk about that, you know, like we're getting caught in this negative cycle. Maybe I've hurt you too much, that sort of thing. But when it's all they talk about, or it's like the common thing, they're hiding something. They're still involved in an affair. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's clear. So then we talk about the antidote to shame. And if this antidote does its job, then you can know that, okay, this was just a clear shame that they are feeling bad. But if it doesn't do its job, then you can probably guess that there's something else there that they haven't let go. No. I mean, this the thing that we're going to talk about in a second as an antidote, that's not going to eliminate because that shame is coming from doing something wrong that they know is wrong. Yeah. You know, you can't convince yourself not to have it. But everybody that I've dealt with where I'm when I'm working with them, I'm thinking, man, they've got so much shame. If I could find a way to get them out of this shame, then we would be okay as you know, I could help this marriage move forward. Everybody that's had that kind of shame, they've always had something hidden or secret they weren't sharing. And what they were usually keeping hidden and secret was that the affair was still going on. Okay. You know, that's why, that's what produced that kind of shame. But then there's this other side of shame that's normal for everybody who has an affair, which is, man, I feel really stupid for doing this. I feel terrible. It's kind of, it's like what I was describing about me seeing if I were to hurt my son permanently, mm-hmm. you know, by dropping him. He was still lingering and had side effects from that. That's kind of a normal shame. But this mm-hmm. this is a different type of shame mm-hmm. on a different level. Is it kind of like a shame that keeps them from really being there for their spouse and really going to their aid and and really doing everything that they can to help them through this? Is the reason, like, for example, when it in this quote that you read, it says, I'm convinced you'd be better off without me. And so that's almost their out. They're saying, well, you're better off without me, so I'm going to vamoose. But if it was more of a shame that was pure and healthy, then... They'd be like, I I think you'd be better off without me, but I'm going to do my darndest to help you in this moment. Is that is that fair to say, or is that kind of not always the case? Well, I think, you know, you'd be surprised. Usually uh, the folks that will end up coming to therapy when they are still involved in an affair and they have this kind of shame, they're nice people. They're agreeable. They're nice. Maybe they're even laid back. Uh, and so they'll come to therapy because their spouse is requesting it. They may be willing to like, be kind and reassuring and that kind of thing. But they're not going to really want to talk about the affair much. Most often this type of shame is because they're still involved in the affair or having some sort of contact with the affair partner. They're keeping some sort of secret. Okay. And that's what's creating this super level of toxic shame. And that's why they would be so defensive because they don't want to talk about it because it reminds them of how bad they've been and are still being. There's this other, but there's the other side of shame that's not super, super toxic. You know, the super, super toxic shame is when they're keeping a secret. Okay. You know, but this other side of shame that I, we spent the first half of today talking about is really just the normal shame that everybody experiences after they've been unfaithful. I've done something terrible. I, I feel so bad. And that kind of, I feel like an imposter, that kind of shame. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I hurt you and, you know, I kind of get defensive, you know, that kind of thing. That's kind of a normal shame. 
Okay. So I think that leads us to the next question is why do people stay stuck in shame? I think we've talked about it. We've kind of talked around it a little bit. We've really just to nail it down, lack of hope, fear it won't get better, that sort of thing. When does shame show up in the healing process, Brad? When does it typically show up? Oh gosh. I think shame shows up during the affair after the healing process. I think both people need healing. And Morgan, this is really important. Everybody knows that the one who got betrayed they're in pain, you know, culturally speaking, you know, like every, every culture in the world knows, like, you know, everybody knows that when you get betrayed, there's a deep traumatic pain associated with that. But people don't really realize what it's like to be Benedict Arnold, what it's like to be a traitor, you know, to, to betray your spouse. People don't really realize just what kind of shame and pain the one who's unfaithful carries with them. And the loneliness too, I imagine. Yeah, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of pain associated with that. While it's not something that people think about, you know, we're kind of wrapped in our own hurt and we get hurt and betrayed. But the one who is unfaithful, they often have just as much pain as the one who gets betrayed, but it's a different kind of pain. They're struggling with this self-hatred, this guilt. That's the normal type. Mm-hmm. Not, But the ones who are struggling with it the most in this super level, this super toxic level, are probably still keeping some sort of big secret or maybe even still involved with their fair partner because they'll say things like, hey, I think I'd just be done with the marriage. I think you're better off without me, you know, and they, they're going to keep coming back to it. And they're going to look, I'm just thinking of people I've worked with and they love their spouse. That's why they're coming. To, if they're willing to come to therapy, they love you and they want to work on it. But then you they want to help you do better. But there's this additional thing that's this big secret. I'm still involved with this person. And so they're not rein- you on. They're not reinvested in the marriage or the relationship. They're, and you can kind of tell that they're just not invested in where they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the antidote to shame. Yes. The antidote to shame is really rooted in self-compassion. It's really being able to say to yourself, I did the best I could with the information I had at the time. You know, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. You know, all things considered, this is what I knew. I really was doing the best I knew at the time. And you've got to let that become your motto. You've got to let that become the thing that you live off of because shame is a destructive emotion. It's There's nothing really productive that comes out of shame, especially in the healing process or much in life, because shame causes us to eliminate ourselves and pull us out of a relationship. Causes us to hide and to pull away and withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using an affirmation like, I did the best with the information I had at the time, that can help begin that process of self-compassion. And I love this other part, too, where as a, as a spouse, you know, we can come beside our partner and say, you know what, I've been there too, me too, I have felt that way as well. And you can't really get to that point until both people are really talking about what's going on. And and the person who is feeling the intense amount of shame, if they can talk about the shame, maybe talk from the shame and their partner can come alongside them and say, you know what, I've been there too, me too. And just sort of like be there with them so that they can have that self-compassion, that acceptance of themselves. I am not bad. I have done bad things. And partnering with each other so that you can really build each other up. I think that's a great way to combat this 
shame that, that screams pretty loud. Yeah, but ultimately, you're going to need to get help to work through this. You know, you're going to need to get great help to work through this, to have a great marriage again. And so you've got to go get help, got to work with experts. That's why we offer retreats. That's why we put this information out here so you guys know who you can trust. And uh, you've got to go get the right help. And Morgan, I think that kind of sums up our topic of shame today. Hopefully this isn't too confusing because that's not what I want to do. I don't want to confuse anybody or... Uh, and honestly, I do not, I don't want to confuse anybody. And I also don't want to indict anybody like, Hey, Brad said this on the podcast. So this is what's going on, you know, cause I'm not a part of your guys' relationship. I'm speaking about what I've seen and general patterns that I've seen. And so I can't say that about your relationship, that if somebody's going through this, that it really means that they want to be done. Cause I don't know. Right. Uh, or that they're still seeing somebody in an affair. You know, I don't know that. Uh, for your situation. I'm just speaking about patterns and what I've seen and dealt with. And so uh, do not take this as legal or... Relationship advice. Yeah, because we have not entered into a therapeutic relationship with you, so it it can't be taken as therapeutic advice. That's why we do coaching. That's also why you can um, go to healingbrokentrust.com. You can set up a coaching call and... Brad or Daniel or Randy, one of our therapists can get a better picture of your relationship and give you more therapeutic advice um, in a coaching session. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with, Brad? No, thank you guys for listening. You've made us the number one podcast for a fair recovery. So thank you very much for doing this and joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing Broken Trust podcast. Are you ready to take the next step? Go to healingbrokentrust.com and schedule your one-on-one coaching call today. That's healingbrokentrust.com.